Mad Valley, and this is the Rock and Roll Research Podcast, where we share the super cool backstories and side gigs of the research and insights pros that you trust. I'm super excited about today's guest, who is Isaac Rogers. Isaac created a lot of industry buzz last year when the online qualitative technology firm that he led as CEO called 2020 Research, perhaps you've heard of them, uh, was acquired by the Schlesinger Group who is the global leader in the art and science of qual and quant data collection and research services. Now, Isaac has stayed on as the chief innovation officer at Schlesinger. He holds three patents and continues to be a tremendous thought leader in the industry, contributing regularly to publications and speaking engagements and the like. But research innovation isn't his only passion. We're gonna explore that today on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Isaac. Thanks for having me, Matt. Yeah, super excited to have you. So let's let's start with with research. So um, you have been you know front and center in the space for the last decade or so, maybe a little more. About thirteen um, years now. I actually got LinkedIn reminded me of this. <laughs> my thirteen year anniversary was like uh, last week, I think. Oh, great, great, super cool. So tell us how you got into insights in the first place. What's the story there? I think I took the traditional path into insights, which is I got here by accident. Um, <laughs> that is a traditional. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, it. I, I think the story kind of speaks a little bit to my kind of cavalier nature. Um, so I was in graduate school and prior to prior to graduate school. So I, I was coming out of my second year. I was in my second year. Already had a job. I was going to work at a business intelligence firm. I actually was kind of not thinking that was the thing I wanted to do. I, I, that's where I'd been the last year and a half during school. And, 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 I, and I had a, a management consulting job up in New York and I was kind of prepping my, myself for, for you know, being a management consultant. Prior to grad school, I had worked for technology startups and in technology companies. And, and so that had kind of always been my passion. And I actually went back to grad school to, to, broaden myself, I guess, because I was like, I love doing the startups. I love doing the, I love doing the technology companies, but right. maybe I should try my hand at something else. And so my master's degree is actually in finance and, and, mm -hmm. and, uh, and marketing. And so, so, uh, so I, I did the graduate school and I was like, okay, I'm going to go do management consulting. That'll give me exposure to other industries and other areas. And, and, and maybe I'll find something that I like different. It's not, I didn't like technology and technology startups. I was always like, you know, I'm in my late twenties and I'm like, maybe, you know, I just want to make sure that I, I know what I'm getting into. Well, uh, about February of, of my, my second year, um, a good friend of mine, she actually led marketing at Vanderbilt university where I was, uh, her, I had collaborated on a couple projects and we'd cross paths and she comes to me one day and she says, Isaac, I need a favor. She said, um, and, and Vanderbilt's in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, by the way, and, and, and which is where, uh, I've been a part of a couple startups that were here. Uh, she came to me and she said, um, hey, you know, I, I know you're like, you know, the technology guy and like, you know, about all this innovation stuff and how to build products. I've got a friend I need you to talk to. He's got this technology that he's been kicking around for a few years and he really doesn't really know what he's doing. And he thinks he wants to like invest pretty heavily in this and make this a bigger part of his business. Right. Go talk to him because you might be able to talk some sense into it. And I said, Yvonne, for you, absolutely. And so I set up a, a, a lunch meeting with, with Jim Bryson, who was at the time leading 2020. And we, we got to know each other. And in about 20 minutes, he's telling me about the industry. And he's telling me about, this was, remember, back 2000, 2000 early 2000, late 2007, early 2008, 
okay. and, he's, and he's, he's telling me about, you know, how digital research is such a small amount of research, but he's got this vision that it's going to be bigger and he's got this vision for how there's going to be this transformation and, uh, and how research is going to go through this renaissance and, and I'm hearing all this and in the industries that I've been in prior, that's exactly what we had done. We had taken some rather uh, kind of boring traditional industries and, and really updated, modernized. And so he's telling me this story about transition and it's like, now I'm getting excited. And so, so I, I, instead of kind of talking him out of, in, you know, doing this thing and investing more in digital methods, I, I think I kind of talked him into it. Um, he left that meeting and he went to go talk to his partners and he said, I want to hire this kid. And uh, I actually got on a plane, flew to my, my potential uh, job up in New York. And, and uh, he called me the next day from the air and I was in the airport and, and he said, Hey, do you just want to come work for me? And without any details or questions or anything else, I said, yeah. And <laughs> so I said, yes, they're in the airport. And, uh, and got back on the plane, told, told my other company that I wasn't going to join them and, and got back on the plane, went back and, um, just kind of got thrown in the deep end and, and had no idea what I'd sign myself up for. No idea. Like I'd never met anybody else at the company. I had no idea what the products really were. I just heard the vision and I was like, I love that. And I want to be part of that. And, and so I, I did. And so that's how I got into this industry. I, I, I had light experience with research before in grad school, you know, they exposed you to some marketing research principles um, company I was with, we were doing business intelligence software and, and we had, we had hired some researchers and done some qualitative research in the past. So totally considered myself a novice. Uh, but that was my total experience in the industry until Jim and I met and then, and then the rest is kind of history. Oh, that's great. And it, it, it seems like you really came to embrace this space. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is the, yeah, this is home for me. So, you know, when, when I look at, how I think about life and, and the things that I enjoy doing. There are just so many intersections with research and, and the technology that I get to, to be part of and the transformations I get to be part of and the size of the industry. And I think what we do at the end of the day is a very good and noble thing. Um, I, think, I think this idea of giving consumers a voice, making the world just slightly better every single day because we're making products better and services better and companies better like that, that soothes something in my heart. And, and so there's just so many intersections in this industry that, that, that really make it my home. And, you know, and all the, I've had, I've had very, very few occasions where I've ever been like, you know, like I'll meet somebody or I'll have a friend who's in a different industry and, and I'll be like, gosh, what would it be like to, to, to be that person or, or be in that role? I don't really have those thoughts. Yeah. Um, this is, this has really become my home. Cool. Well, certainly, certainly you've found uh, a home uh, amongst researchers. But on the side, you've also found a home amongst bees. That's right. <laughs> so let's let's hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So so I would not consider myself an expert. This is this is a very large hobby of mine. Um, so I got into beekeeping a few years ago. Um, very good friend of mine was into it, and or had just gotten into it, and he was telling me about it, and it really struck a chord with me. And so he kind of helped me get started and showed me the ropes a little bit. And I just got fully engrossed into it. I've been doing it about three years now. I think this is my third or fourth season doing it. Right. Um, you know, I don't do it for honey, and I and um, which is I think kind of an interesting take on on why why I do it. I I just love the the science of it. I love the the beauty of these little animals and, and how they conduct their lives. 
I like the positive benefit of all the flowers in our garden and in my wife's vegetable garden all look a lot better. Right. Um, um, and I like that it somewhat annoys the kids and I get to give them science lessons when the, when the bees sting them or whatever, when they're outside. Um, but I do it just for the passion of kind of knowing more about the natural world. And, and I, I tend to pick up hobbies, get very, very engrossed in them. Right. Uh, and this is, this is, this is something that I've, I've really turned into a passion in the last few years. So, so was it that, that intellectual hook that as you learned about it originally from your friend that, that drew you in? I think so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the mystery of the unknown. Um, you know, he starts telling me about these things and he gets really excited and animated about it. He's like, you won't believe how cool these things are. And like, and he starts giving me these glimpses of how amazing these little animals are. And, um, and I'm like, that is amazing. And I had no idea that like, you look at little bugs flying around in the, in the, in the sky and you don't give them any thought. But then when you start learning about their, their, their society really, and how the bees operate and how the hive works and the why and the how there's, it's, it's like opening up this whole world. I mean, it is, Matt, it is absolutely fascinating. And you can get, you know, you can be 30 hours of YouTube videos before yeah. and like just wake up and realize like, but there's so much more depth to these tiny little flying insects that are all around you. Um, and so it was, it was the exploration of the science part of it. That's, that's a, that's really a big part for me. I, I, I come by kind of, uh, you know, what, what do you call it? Like husbandry or rearing things kind of naturally. When I was younger, mm -hmm. um, I grew up on a cattle ranch. That was a big part of our family life. And so kind of this idea of knowing how the world works, how things work, how, how animals work and, and, and understanding that is, is always been a big part of my life. That's cool. So, uh, I just want to ask a question about that because I, I personally, I confess, I don't know a lot about beekeeping. Um, how does, what does the schedule look like? Is this something you're, you're working on daily or weekly? No, 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 no. So, so um, it is, I mean, you can, if you really want to take it seriously, you could, you could, you could make it, make it a big, big project. I had, I had at most three hives. This last season, I had two hives. Um, for me, what, what I'm doing more is just observing them and tending to them and, and keeping them, keeping them happy. I'm not there to get honey. So um, mm -hmm. I'll put on that silly bee suit. My kids will laugh at me maybe every two weeks, <laughs> three weeks and go out and check on the hives, make sure everything's okay. So what, from my perspective, I'm a very lazy beekeeper. Um, I, I go out and I check, make sure everything looks healthy, uh, which I've a sad story to tell about the winter. We had such a terrible winter in Nashville. Both of my hives actually collapsed and I'm waiting on my new hives right now. Um, I go out and I check, make sure there's not a lot of bugs. I go out and check and make sure, especially in the, in the heart of the summer, when they got the dearth of the summer, um, you need to add a little bit of water and sugar because they, they just don't have enough to sustain themselves or sustain the hive at a high, high rate. Um, I'll go out and I'll do a little bit of maintenance. I'll look around, but more I'm out there like a kid kind of just studying these things and watching them move across the, the frames. And, and it's like, I could probably go a month or so without ever actually checking on them and everything would be okay. Um, mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, so I'm a very lazy beekeeper. That being said, one of my most uh, interesting uh, experiences with my bees is I think last, about this time last year, um, uh, I obviously had this hobby before COVID, but, but I've been working from home more and, right. And so I'm, I'm walking downstairs and where I keep the hives is, is pointing. You have no idea where I'm pointing. <laughs> over on the, one far side of the house, I, I keep our, our, our hives over there. And, and 
I went back into our bedroom for some reason, which is rare during the day. And I, and I looked and the windows happened to be open and I looked outside and there's a giant swarm of bees up in the tree. So, so I, so I had what's, what's called, what's called a split and it's not going to get into the details of it, but, but basically the hive said, it's time for us to find a new home. The queen bee who the entire hive will follow anywhere in the world. Um, she decided it was time for to, to split off. So she went up in the tree and I had meeting schedule and everything that afternoon, but I was like, emergency, I have to go take care of my bees. So I, <laughs> so I put the suit on, I run out there and I spend about an hour cutting this limb off the tree, getting her into a container, moving her over into a new hive and then getting everything set up and kind of trapping her in there. And it was like, it was like a huge adrenaline rush because if I didn't get it right, they were going to fly off and be gone. And, you know, you've got a decent chance that the rest of the hive would actually not survive. And so I would have been, I would have, I would have been down to just, just one, one hive of bees. Right. So like, it was like, you know, I felt like, um, I felt like a Navy SEAL or something running out there, <laughs> like in the middle of the day, like having to take care of this huge thing. Um, and, and that was a, that was a fun experience. I've only had one split, thankfully. Um, and, and that was a, that was a fun, that was a fun day, a fun afternoon. Sorry for all the meetings I had to cancel that day, by the way, <laughs> that became quite important to me. Well, it'll be interesting to see what kinds of adventures you have, uh, in the future as, as you do this. So, so thinking about that, I mean, it's, it's just an interesting hobby. I'm just wondering, is there anything that you sort of took from you know, your understanding of people maybe that you apply to beekeeping or, or maybe vice versa. Is there something you learned from the beats that you, you apply to your daily work? Yeah, it, it, it probably reinforces a very important message for me, which is just know the story. Like so many times in business, um, I see people make what you would call on the surface a mistake or a misstep. And, and a huge percentage of the time, when you look at what happened, they didn't know the story. They, did, they, they, they made a decision, a business decision, a hiring decision, a decision about how to set up their company or organization. And they, they, they just didn't take the time to ask all the questions and understand, well, how does this really work? And when they get to a part of the learning and, and you know, this is, this is true with bees, you know, there's, there's all this, but why? But why? Like, okay, they follow the queen, but why? Uh, and how, how does that work? And then once you reach a saturation point with, with your knowledge, I feel like that's where I like to make decisions where I feel like, okay, I can, I can do this now, or I can make a change because I, I feel like I've got a good fundamental um, understanding of the story. Beekeeping reinforces that because it is a very foreign thing. I mean, raising insects, right? Like, right. <laughs> I mean, like you don't come with this nature, this, this, this knowledge naturally. And so you have to soak it up and get a confidence level and understand the story about how these things work before you make any sort of decisions or even decide to do this. I think business is, is, is an identical lesson in it. And so for me, it reinforces that lesson of, you know, how do you develop the instinct of when you need to, you know, pull back the covers more, understand more about, you know, why your staff is doing certain things, why they're making certain decisions, um, you know, what's the cause of things. And, and be really careful not to uh, make a decision based on a, a, a shallow amount of facts, but really get all the details. Right. And, and, and developing that instinct of when, because you could take it too far, right, Matt? And you could say, I'm gonna sit around and just soak up all the information and never make a decision. Lots of people do that. Right. I think the instinct that a business leader needs to have is, how do you know the story enough? How do you get enough details and facts 
that you can make a decision and feel confident about it and then move on. It's the old, uh, what is it? The, the Bezos is famous for saying like 80% is good enough. Yeah. People have a lot of trouble with that. I find that most people don't even get to like five or 10% of the knowledge that they need to make decisions. They right. make them irrespective of having the right decisions. There's also a lot of people who want 99% confidence in things and that frankly never shows up. So about finding that 80% confidence level of I've learned enough, I can start to make decisions um, is a, is a huge lesson I've taken from this hobby. Cool. Cool. I love that answer. Um, so let's get back to research for a second. Um, I want to ask you this because you have really been an innovator in this space over the last dozen or so years, uh, which has been, you know, kind of a boom time, I think for innovation in, in research, and it has been a long time coming. <clears throat> so as you glimpse a little bit into the future of, of insights, maybe near in or, or longer term, uh, what do you what do you see? Yeah, so it's a good question, Matt, and and, and something that definitely I, I put, <laughs> put a lot of thought into. But you know what 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 I see happening in our industry, and when I say our industry, I'm talking primarily about the the insight space. So so you know your your incumbent or traditional market research companies, market research agencies, all of the companies like Schlesinger Group that service them. And then the, the buyers who typically are coming to those agencies. So when I think of those three pieces, that's who I think of as kind of the traditional or incumbent insight space. Right. The first thing I, I think is happening is um, I, I read this recently that, that the, um, the insight function is atomizing. It's, mm -hmm. it's spreading. And, and we've got people from management consulting firms. We've got firms that are, would have been so small, they would have never been on anybody's radar, you know, a $20 million business coming to our industry and knocking on the door and going, how can you help me better understand my customer? How can you better understand how to build products and services? Ad agencies, strategy firms, branding firms, all of this, this group of, of folks where they're now interested in learning about their customer more, understanding so they can build better products and services. I do not think as an industry, we're set up to serve them well. Um, we take too long, we cost too much. Uh, that's, yeah. that's uh, it, it, small funny story about that i was actually riding around with one of my former business partners in a car one day and we got we got something related to our business and it was a piece of creative and and we were going to choose option a or b and 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 we in the rental car and we're like we still want b right and he's like yeah and, and i said hey should we do any research on this and he looks back and he goes nah it takes too long costs too much and i <laughs> that story haunts me right because there's two people yeah. on the research company and we, like we will bypass research because it's 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 difficult. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of knowledge. Like it's yeah. hard to buy from us. Like like there's not just a really good way. If I'm an ad agency who wants to test a piece of creative, or a, I remember back when I was in, in on the brand side, and we like our head of marketing had done focus groups before, and 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 so she knew about it, and it was like this little secret. And she was like, oh, I mean, we were a a fairly large business, about $15 million business. And we were, we were, we were, you know, wanting to expand in a new market. She's like, Oh, we should do focus groups. And we're like, what is that? And she's like, this is what it is. This is how it works. And we're like, that sounds foreign to us. Like scary. We don't know how to do that. And she's like, Oh, then you hire these researchers and this is how it works. And she led us through that process. But with, with, without her, like we would have just made a gut decision. And I think there's millions of decisions made around the world every single day in businesses it could probably benefit from research, but right. we have focused on the big hairy questions. And I think the innovation and transition we're about to see in the industry is those big hairy questions that the, that the incumbent research infrastructure is set up to handle, those, those remain. 
but there's all these other smaller questions that businesses need answers to. And so how do you, how do you serve that up so they know how to buy it and do it? How do you make it so that the information's consumable? I mean, we just take it for granted, but when you talk to a small business that, that might be willing to you know, do a big quantitative study or a qualitative uh, you know, set of focus groups or something, they, they, they have the will, but they don't have the knowledge. Like you talk to them and you're like, well, like if you'll say like, what's your sample size? They get nervous, right? Because they're like, yeah. what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> we have to put it in language that business understands. Right. And, and we're very bad at that in our industry. I think we're very, very bad at it. We are so good about talking about each other and, and, and how each other needs things. You know, if, if an agency calls me up, you know, they can probably give me like almost like a wheel of fortune, like a bunch of letters missing in their spec. And I can probably bid that job because we just know it so well. It's right. so routinized. But there's this whole world of people who need our services that I don't think we're adequately addressing. And I think that's where a ton of innovation is going to happen in the next few years. Um, yeah, here, 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 here. And I, I, I think we've seen maybe that start to happen in pockets and it's being serviced by firms that are completely outside of the space uh, to your point. Yeah. And, you know, as you know, Schlesinger is a fairly acquisitive firm. And, you know, we, we talk to a lot of startups and a lot of firms that are, that are, in and around the industry getting started. Um, I would tell you that the overwhelming majority of startups, um, you know, kind of early stage companies that we see that are doing some really amazing and really cool stuff, they don't even know who researchers are. Yeah. They, they go like, like I like, they will be like, yeah, I've heard of the research department, but that's not who we work with. And I'm like, you know what you're doing is research. And they're like, well, I mean, we know that, but that's not what our clients think or want. Like. They have a UX problem they want to solve or a product R&D problem they want to solve or, you know, a, an ad effectiveness question they want to answer. We never use research terms and we never talk to researchers, uh, but we have a very successful business figuring out how to talk to the right business people and they're in their terms. And they go, yeah, I want six of those. If we go to them and we tell them, you know, here's your sample size and, you know, what, you know, you know ideas, diets, triads, they go, I don't want that. Whatever that is, I don't want it. But yeah. they'll buy from a lot of these startups because they've figured out that that making it easy to buy, making it easy to understand the problems that they're solving, is is a huge part of the business. But it's it's fascinating to me. I get a calls all day. Matter of fact, I was on one earlier today with a startup who's looking for direction, and 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 I look at it. I'm like, oh man, that's an amazing technology that we could use in research. And they don't know who researchers are. They're yeah, like, we, just, we just serve the customer experience people. Who who is a research department? What do they do? I mean, we've heard of them, but we don't we don't talk to them. <laughs> so, you know, I. I don't want to miss the train that I think is starting to leave the station where we've got this expansion of, of who needs research, who needs consumer insight. I want the traditional research industry to be set up to deliver for that, but I don't think we're set up well to do it. And that's one of my personal challenges is to kind of help us move in that direction where we can expand past the people who've always needed research and start to serve a, a broader audience. Yeah, that's, that's a noble mantle to take on. So <laughs> I wish you great success in that endeavor for sure. Um, so, so this is a podcast, right? Uh, so I'm interested to know if there are other podcasts or what other media um, that you are consuming these days uh, for inspiration or ideas or, or even just enjoyment. Okay, so. What's good? What's good? <laughs> I'll start with the enjoyment piece. So. My wife got me listening to Smartless. Have you listened to Smartless yet? What was that? Smartless? Uh, no, I haven't. So it's Jason Bateman. Um, uh, uh, oh gosh, I'm blocking on the names. Now. Jason Bateman and um, oh, the guy who's the voice of Batman and he was on Arrested Development. Um, I want to call him Joe, but, uh, but it's um, 
uh, shoot, I'm blocking other names, uh, Jason Bateman and anyway, two other actors, a guy that was from um, Will and Grace back in the day. Um, and they've got this podcast that's just dumb. It's just yeah. dumb. And, and, but it's hilarious because, you know, it's, it's, it's these three friends. They've been friends forever and they always invite a mystery guest. And so um, sometimes it's somebody from entertainment, obviously, because they're all actors. Um, sometimes Will Arnett, sorry, Will Arnett. Okay. Um, and, and, uh, some, so it's a lot of actors, but then like um, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson was on and, you know, he's talking to these three schmucks who, you know, <laughs> don't know anything about astronomy and, and, but he's like, so you just learn through them because they're asking all of these kind of babe in the woods questions and, and you get just amazing insights. They're hilarious. They're a little irreverent. Uh, and so, so I, we listen to that pretty often on like road trips and those kind of things. Um, you know, other podcasts, I'll get interested in podcasts and listen for a, for a little while. I, um, I was, I was really fascinated by the, um, a uh, couple of startup podcasts that have, that have been out there. Um, the story of, um, uh, a few of the, the startups that came out of, um, uh, oh, I'm trying to, uh, Ira Glass, I think has done a couple, um, mm -hmm. and, and those have been interesting. Right. But I'm not I'm not huge on podcasts. Um, we we actually don't watch a lot of TV around the house either. So I'm, I'm a mayor of East Town has been my my latest passion. <laughs> nice. uh, uh, great show, uh, uh, like a emotional roller coaster. Uh, I tend to read quite a bit, and so I brought a couple that that show you that when I get engrossed in a in a hobby, I kind of I kind of go all in. So my son is ten. He's been obsessed with scuba diving since he was like five. Oh, cool. So I said, look, when you turn 10, we'll get you certified. And so he's finishing the certification process. I scuba dived for, for a long time. And, and so now I'm kind of back in the hobby and I want to understand the technicals of it. And so I read this on the plane Tuesday night, which is decompression for divers, which is a very technical manual about how decompression works and, <laughs> and nitrogen works in the bloodstream. Um, but I just like getting involved in like understanding and feeling like, okay, I got the story. I know how decompression works. I know how nitrogen bubbles get generated in our, in our tissues. And, and so I'll read this book and I'll have a bit better, uh, I'll feel better about scuba diving with my 10 year old because I'll feel like I've got a better understanding of it. Um, but I end up reading a lot of books like this, uh, inspired, uh, how to great, great, great tech products by, um, Marty Kagan, great book. Um, one of my favorite books is the power of moments. Came out a few years ago. If you haven't read that, it's a phenomenal book about customer experience and how it's not the things that you think about. Um, uh, you know, I've got some tried and true books that I'll fall on a lot, like Good to Great. I think is yeah. you know, even though it's getting really dated now, um, some of those That's stories funny. they just they just hit me. You know, they're like because they tell so much about the team that led those businesses and, and how functioning the team was. Yeah, and and uh, I'll, I'll go back to those for inspiration. Um, so, you know, I read, I read a random selection of technical manuals about scuba diving and business <laughs> product development books. Um, so I'm kind of all over the place, man. It works. It works. All right. So let's get to the question that I really care about. The one that I really want to know. So I know you live in Nashville, right? Which is I do Nashville, awesome. Tennessee, been here 22 years. Great music town. So the best music town, Matt, let's be honest. <laughs> the best. I don't know. I, I, I came from Minneapolis with Prince. I live down the road from Austin, Texas. Uh, it's, okay, it's in the mix. You've covered, you covered some pretty strong music cities. <laughs> Nashville will give you a run for its money. It's in the mix. It's in the mix. Okay, so so you're stranded on a desert island, Isaac. You have three records at your disposal to keep you company for the rest of your days. If you're choosing, no one else is choosing yours. What are those records? 
This was hard. So <laughs> I love that you said records because I actually have a record player that I use. Yes. And I have several hundred records. And um, so this was tough. And so my, my wife and kids aren't here right now. And so me and the dog sat, <laughs> sat down last night in front of my tube amplifier record player. And um, we, we, had a, we had a couple tough decisions. So the first one I'll show you, and this is like, now that I'm looking at it, I'm a little embarrassed myself, um, but, but we'll just go with it. So I've got four here, Matt, you're going to have to. Gonna okay. Have to okay. We're going to have to choose which one is an alternate because we've got to be careful okay. with that. So anyway, go ahead. Oh. So Van Morrison moon dance. Um, so I'm primarily, there's some great songs in here. Caravan, uh, uh, moon dance is on here. There's a song on here that if you don't know it, it is, it is, it is my favorite song in the world. It's called Into the Mystic. And um, it, is, it is a fantastic Van Morrison song. I, I could listen to that song on repeat, um, not for the rest of my life. I'd have to take some breaks. <laughs> but um, uh, Spotify used to tell you like your most listened to songs. Yeah. And I've listened to Into the Mystic more than any other song in my life. So Into the Mystic, Moon Dance, uh, Van Morrison, great, great record. Cool. Um, I have four copies of this one. This is my least tattered one. So this is Bob Seger's okay. and Nine Tonight. Uh, I'll also give you a, 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 a kind of a, a B track off of this. Uh, You'll Accompany Me is, is my second favorite song in the world. Mm -hmm. um, nobody knows about it. It's a fantastic song. There's a line <laughs> in there that really defines me as a person. And then now I got to choose. Oh, this is just, tough. Just for so, my record keeping, Isaac. It's just for my record keeping. So. Okay, so I've always loved this record, Sinatra Live in Paris. Um, it's one of my one of my favorites as well. Excellent record. I yeah. played that last night, and I was like, "All right, I remember why I like this." So that that's a good one. Um, the other alternate I'll put up. I'm a huge Chris Stapleton fan. Um, mm -hmm. You know I, everything he does, especially if you go back to, to when he was in Steel Drivers. I love a lot of that stuff. So I'd probably I'd probably go with Sinatra. Van Morrison and Bob Seger, um, which, you know, that's a, that's a, I think kind of a weird eclectic set, but I was sitting there trying to figure out, I got a, a Jay-Z album that I, that I listened to a lot. I got a, I got a, a Diana Krall album that I listened to a lot. Um, so, that, so like, I was, I was really struggling last night. I had like, I had like, <laughs> and I was sitting there and I was like, judge me based on my choice here. <laughs> feel good about two of those choices. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really up in the air about whether Stapleton or, or Sinatra is my, my, uh, my. <laughs> well, it's, it is a great cross section of choices. I must say, uh, even dropping some Jay-Z in there. It's, it's cool stuff. My son would be very upset because he's a huge ACDC fan and, and he likes Stapleton, <laughs> but, but the rest of me, he's not big fans of. So, so he would be very disappointed for learning that I didn't put ACDC in there. Well, it works for me, but it's, of course, your island, so it's your choice. <laughs> it's the rest of your days, so. <laughs> All right. Excellent to speak with you, Isaac. Really appreciate your time. I know you're super Real busy. Pleasure, Real uh, really enjoyed the chat. Love to learn about beekeeping. I think I might go down a YouTube hole now. You um, can get caught in a YouTube hole on beekeeping, trust me. <laughs> All right, great. Well, thanks so much, Isaac. Rock and roll. Rock and roll, man. Right. <laughs>